Greetings, Embers, and welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. I would like to thank the reformed members of the channel. Tina Mead, Seven Luds, Crispin, Tammy Slayton, CAG, Denise S, Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Norm DW, Christy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's niece. If you would like to learn how to become part of the Back to Ashes family or would like to buy me a coffee as a special thank you, those links can be found down below. If you are new here and like what you are hearing or you've been here and haven't done so already, please consider to subscribe, like, share, and comment. Not only does it help the channel out, but it also reminds you of every time I upload a video. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of melatonin entitled True Witch Stories. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that there will be no more ads within this video. Disclaimer, the third and last story, I don't know if they're actually fiction or non-fiction, I will leave all of that to your imagination. Enjoy. I live in Eastern Europe, well, more exactly in Romania. You may have heard about those gypsy witches that live in my country. Most of them are just pretending to be something they are not. This is the story of a real witch. My grandmother used to live in the same village with a witch. I don't know if the witch was gypsy or Romanian, but it doesn't really matter. She lived for so many years that no one knew her true age. This woman claimed to be a witch, and she also claimed that she had this demon who served her. She used to talk about the way she sold her soul one night in the forest while performing a ritual. In return, she gained powers and the help of a demon. She said that she couldn't die until she convinced everyone to take full charge and responsibility of her duty as a witch and sell his or her soul to the darkness as well. She said, I believe, three daughters, but people said that their mother's behavior scared them away. They moved to Bucharest and never returned to the village. Now, you will say that she was most likely a crazy old woman. Well, no. A lot of people heard weird noises coming from her attic, and she agreed that the sounds were made by her slave demon. People even though afraid, asked her to solve their problems and gave her money for that. No one ever complained about her work. No one. Everything was put in place no matter how difficult the task was. Also, people witnessed a lot of hard work getting done overnight in her yard and garden. Stuff that she wasn't able to do alone. Unfortunately, I do not know if she's still alive. I have one more story about a witch, so... Please let me know if you would love to hear it. A quick edit that I forgot. There are a few more details I did not mention. Some of you were really curious about this story, so here it is. My grandmother met a woman on her way to work. This woman asked my grandmother about the witch. She wanted to know where the witch lived. My grandmother gave indications and then asked her why she was going to see this witch. She said that a thief broke into her house and stole her savings, and she wanted her money back. The next day, my grandmother met the woman again. She carried a bag. My grandmother asked her what happened. 
She said she went to the witch and received the promise that she was able to find the money on the table when she returned home. The witch asked in advance for half that money. The woman agreed. It was better than nothing. Things happened exactly as the witch have said, and she carried the promised money in the bag on the way to the witch's house. Another story is that a woman fell in love with a married man. She went to the witch and told her that she wanted that man. The witch asked her if she wanted the man no matter what the consequences were. She said yes. In less than a month, his wife got ill and died. He remarried. He got married to the woman that killed his wife. That's why she was seen as a powerful witch, as a real witch. She had some supernatural powers. Yesterday, I walked into a witch store with my friend. She was generally curious and practiced witchcraft. I don't mind it at all. I found it interesting, to say the least. As she was looking for candles, I was exploring the store. Walls were painted black with the lights dimly lit in the store. There was a section in the back where dead animals were encased in glass jars being sold. It sent chills up my spine and sent me goosebumps. I prayed for them. About five minutes later, oops, edit, I was still in the store when this happened. I noticed that my body felt ice cold. It was a warm, sunny day in my city. Why was I freezing? And just then, I felt as if something slipped into my body. It was subtle, and after a few thoughts of wondering and confusion, I forgot all about it. A few hours later at home, I felt pretty tired. It was probably just exhaustion because it was a fun day walking around my city. However, I for some reason wanted to sleep early. It was only 6 p.m. I could tell something was off, but I pushed it aside and tried to go to sleep. I somehow couldn't. I kept tossing and turning. Suddenly, I was starving. I got out of bed and asked my mom if there was anything to eat. I ate, but couldn't chew normally. Everything just seemed out of place. When I walked around, everything was in slow motion. I felt dizzy and fell to my knees. I quickly picked myself up and rushed back into bed. A few hours later, I got up again, but this time feeling like I had to vomit. Nothing came out. After my attempts, I had pain in my lower abdomen. It felt like period cramps. It was so painful that I passed out. The next thing I woke up to was seeing a needle in my arm connected to a tube leading to an IV. I was in the hospital. The doctor said that I was fine. Nothing was wrong with my body. I also do feel fine. Right now, as I'm currently writing this, I don't feel different or sick. So I have come to the conclusion that there was an evil spirit that came into my body that day we entered that store. Dixie, a Georgia witch story. Careful what you ask the local witch for. Your debt must be paid. The Laytons are the oldest family in town. 
They descend from Samuel Layton, the founder of Rosebud. This influential and close-knit family consists of Randall Layton, my husband, and his two brothers and one sister. We Laytons have a passel of children and grandchildren running amok in the world as well. There's so many of them that, for the life of me, I can't remember all of their names. I have one ingrate child whom I happen to love only slightly less than I love her beautiful children and grandchildren. I say ungrateful only half seriously. I'm old, not dead, and I remember the busy days of my younger years with all the schedules to adhere to and tasks to finish. I just miss seeing her, visiting with her, being an active part of her life. Perhaps it's my old age or something more sinister, whispering to me that I don't have much time left, warning me that if I've got anything left undone, I had better get it done now. I didn't expect to be absolved, and there's something freeing in admitting secrets, secrets that have clawed at you for decades. This is a confession. My confession. In 1932, I was a poor girl born into the sharecropping family. We didn't live in the town back then, but rather on the outskirts in the country part. I was ten and clever, but not nearly so clever as I thought. I lived with my baby sister, Abby Lou, my mama, Ruby, and my daddy, who went by cricket. Mama got sick that year, and the doctor was clueless as to what was causing it. It was his belief that we should get on our knees and praise God for every day our mama still lived because whatever the mystery illness was, it was killing her. Instead, I cursed God. God was no friend of mine. If he was, my mama would never have become sick to begin with. Day after day, she would put me in bed, growing progressively weaker. Daddy was unhappy because the love of his life's fire was extinguishing, and he was helpless. Abby and I were unhappy because Mama was dying, and Daddy had gone from a mostly cheerful man, more cheerful than he ought to have been, as poor as we were, to a short-fused shell of a person. I knew that Daddy would be telling me to quit school any day now. Mama couldn't work in her condition, and Abby was the baby, so he wouldn't go to her first. It would be me so that I could take on Mama's workload on top of my own. I ate from the rotten fruit of bitterness, angry that I'd have to quit. I loved school, and I had the foresight to know that I'd be locked in poverty forever if I didn't finish. Randall and I were classmates, and I loathed him. He was a hateful child, full of cruel jokes and jests. I despised him and his siblings. But one day, as I listened to him torment some of the younger kids, a thought pecked out of the shadows of my mind. It was just a fleeting thought, but I snatched at it, and that was the perk that ignited the fire. Lord, I hate that boy, but it'd sure be nice to be his sister. Then I wouldn't have to quit school, and I'd have all the best dresses a girl could want. Too bad we ain't too bad. We aren't older. I could marry him and Mama and Daddy and Abby, and we'd all be rich too. 
A childish plan hatched in me at the close of that thought, and when I kissed Mama goodnight that evening, I silently swore to her that I'd take care of all of us and she'd get better. We kids all knew about Dixie Tanner, the rumored witch who lived in a shack in the woods outside of town. We also knew the spells and curses weren't the only things Dixie sold. She took money for use for her female anatomy, too. My plan was simple. I'd go to her and ask her if she could make my mama better. If she said no, I was going to ask her to make me a love potion to give to Randall. Without a love potion, that snobby brat would never look twice at the daughter of a sharecropper, a girl in ratty, dirty clothes. My ten-year-old mind rationalized that if he'd fall in love with me, his parents would end up loving me too, and they'd want to help my family out. All our problems would be solved. I had no qualms about sacrificing myself on the altar of money, if it meant a better life for me and my family. My juvenile, naive thought process didn't yet understand words like charity, dignity, and pride, so I really believed this would work. I'd been to Dixie's once before when my friends and I were dared by some older girls to go up to the door and knock. We didn't have the gall to approach the place. Instead, we saw it from a distance and ran for our dear lives when a rabbit disturbed the bushes a couple of feet from where we were crouched. I was certain I could find my way again. The next night, I snuck out of the house after everyone had fallen asleep and picked my way through the dark underbrush of the woods, moonbeams shining down on the imposing trees, lighting my way. The woods were creepy that night because they were so damn quiet. To this day, I've never been in woods so noiseless. The trek to Dixie's felt like it would never end. At one point, I thought I was lost, but then I heard a creak bubbling, and I knew I was almost there. When I got to the front door, I almost lost my nerve. I felt incredibly vulnerable, numb with fear and doubt. What could happen if she chose to kidnap me and do black magic on me? Or if she could simply refuse to help? Either route was daunting. I took a deep breath and raised a fist to knock, before my ballad-up hand made contact with the wooden door. It flew open, and there was Dixie. I'd seen her a couple of times in town, but she didn't come much, and when she did, I steered as far from her as possible, just like the other folks did, even as I was about dying of curiosity for a good gander. This was the closest I had ever been to her. She was very beautiful, in a wild way. Her hair was greasy, but it was long, dark, and wavy. A ribbon held it out of her face. Many necklaces were layered around her neck, some beaded, some woven. She stared boldly down at me, and I got the idea that she'd been expecting me. What do you want? She asked her thick lips stretching into a smirk. I, 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 uh... Can't you talk? Uh, um, yes, ma'am. I wasn't sure if she deserved a ma'am, being that she was a prostitute, but I didn't want to take any chances. She smiled. 
Damn, girl, just come inside. She backed up, holding the door open for me. Timidly, I entered the shack. Candles were lit everywhere that met the eye. Strange statues of creatures I'd never seen before were placed in various places. Dusty books were stacked on makeshift tables, and there was an odor of sage in the stagnant air. Her bed was pushed far against the wall, and my cheeks colored when I thought about the things that were done there. What you come here for, girl? She asked as she shut the door. I rubbed my hands together and summoned some courage. My, my mama, she's real sick. She dying? She fluttered a hand over a chair, and I sat. She took her seat in a rocking chair across from me. Yes, ma'am. Un, I can't help her. I jumped up from my seat. Uh, but, but you don't know that. You haven't even tried. She cackled. <laughs> don't need to. I ain't God, girl. There are limits, yes. I smoothed my nightgown under my bottom and set again. <sighs> All right, uh, can you make me a potion or, or cast a spell? I already said I can't help your mama. It's not for... I need a boy to love me. Ah, that is in my reach. How much money you got? Of all things, I had forgotten money. Oh, none, I answered meekly. She touched her necklaces and scoffed. <laughs> Get out of here, child. Ain't nothing in this world free. Spend what time your mama got left with her. No, I heard myself utter the word and cringed at this newfound spirit. Her thick brows raised and she clucked her tongue. I swallowed. No, I, I got no money, but isn't there something else? Anything. Her expression became stony as she reflected on my desperation. Yeah, there's something. I'll do it, but you got to agree to something. And there ain't no going back after you agree, you hear? It's sealed when you accept. I'll agree to anything, ma'am. Anything you want. I'll be coming. I'll visit you every night for four nights, each time taking something valuable to you. Ain't nothing you can do will stop me. You sure you want to pay that price? I I'll pay it, I agreed. Her hair whipped around like a gust had hit it, but the air in that shack was still. She threw her head back and gleefully laughed. It reminded me of tinkling bells that laughed. <laughs> All too eager. She got up and took a scarf off a nail in the wall, draping it over her head. Without warning, she latched onto my hands with an icy grip and asked, What's the boy's name? Randall, I whispered. She closed her eyes tightly and began mumbling words that I've never been able to recall. Words that sounded both delightful and deadly and made my stomach do flips. I caught Randall's name a couple of times as she chanted her enigmatic spell, her fingers constricting my hands until I almost couldn't feel them anymore. Just when I thought I was on the edge of madness, listening to her incantation, she released and stopped. 
<laughs> Done, she grinned. Remember, four ninth. Now, go and get out of here and don't come back. I leaped out of the chair and took off running, wanting to escape her big, malevolent eyes. At school the next day, it felt like my visit with Dixie had been nothing more than a nightmare. When Randall came up from behind and yanked on a strand of my hair, I was sure that Dixie had tricked me. When he relentlessly started calling me ugly and plain, I knew I had been ripped off. After school, he followed me as I walked home, kicking rocks and whistling a few feet back. I knew he had no reason to go this way. His family lived in a big house in town. Aggravated and emotionally drained from the night before and the sting of his insults today, I turned and marched up to him. What do you think you're doing? Why are you following me after you've been nothing but hateful all day? He crinkled his freckled nose. I'm sorry, Augusta. I didn't mean it, I swear. Let me walk you home. I could have been no more stunned if he socked me in the eye. When we neared my house off a dirt road in the middle of a cotton field, he gently took my hand in his. Dixie had done right by me. At bedtime, as Abby said her prayers, I pretended to give thanks to God and pray for my loved ones. But all the while, I gave thanks to Dixie and whatever was the source of her power. I expected she'd be visiting that night, so I kissed my only doll baby goodbye. Sure, she'd take her first, since she was the item I held most dearly to me. I don't know what time it was when I opened my eyes. The wind screeched angrily outside mine, and Abby's window and thunder rumbled deeply in the tumultuous sky. Purple lightning flashed, exposing a figure running away from our house and out into the cotton fields. The violent lightning flashed again, briefly illuminating long hair blowing in the wind. As promised, Dixie had come. I got out of bed before the sun was up, same as every morning. Abby and I dressed as rain pattered down on the roof. When I picked up my worn-down leather shoe off the hardwood floor, I saw her most prized possession, the doll, was sitting where I had left her. I briefly wondered why Dixie hadn't taken her. Daddy walked into the room, his eyes bloodshot and glazed, just like they were when he drank whiskey. Girls, your mama, he released a sob. She passed away about an hour ago. We stayed home from school and went in to see her after my aunt and uncle showed up. I loved my mama, but seeing her pale corpse lying there, it wasn't that she looked like a rotting body, but I was spooked nonetheless. Daddy had the sense to shut her eyes at least. While the doctor went in to take a look at her, I fell silent as I wrestled with the idea that Dixie had taken Mama's life. That couldn't be it, though, right? Dixie didn't say she'd kill someone, right? Daddy and our uncle were to bury Mama in the family plot the next day. Daddy didn't want to have a viewing. He thought such a practice was obscene and wanted to spare Mama the indignity of having a house full of people stare at her lifeless body. Daddy went to town to request a coffin be built, and my aunt and uncle were sitting in his and Mama's room with her shrouded body. 
My cousins played in the rain like wild children, slipping and sliding in the mud. In our bed, I held Abby as she cried. My conscience continued to trouble me. This couldn't be because of the love spell. It just couldn't. Besides, Mama had been sick. Even the doctor expected her to pass sooner or later. Sissy? Abby mumbled, hiccuping as soon as the word came out of her mouth. Yeah? I don't feel very good. I suppose not. None of us do. I felt her forehead with the back of my hand, the way Mama used to do. You do feel a little warm. Am I getting a sickness like Mama? What? No. That is just plain crazy. Mama didn't have a fever anyway. Abby plopped a thumb in her mouth, an old habit of hers that had long ago died, but was now resurrected. Her eyelids drooped until her eyes shut out the world around her and she was sound asleep. That night my cousins slept in mine and Abby's room. My aunt cooked and sang softly as my uncle dozed and daddy sat with mama. I tossed and turned, not able to turn my mind off. For the first time in my life, I knew what grief and guilt felt like. As I attempted to sleep, Dixie came again. I noticed a shift in the shadows outside that had to be her, creeping by our window. I was seized by the sudden feeling of needing to make a trip to the privy. I squeezed my eyes closed. Rays of sunshine poured into my room the next morning. My cousin's loud banter landing on my ears as I stirred awake. I poked Abby's back as I yawned. Oh, get up, Abby. <sighs> we slept late today. She didn't move. Abby Lou, I mean it. We gotta see if there's anything Daddy wants us to do. She pretended not to hear me. Agitated, I rolled her over. Glassy, lifeless brown eyes stared past me into the void. I screamed. The doctor came a couple of hours later. I don't know what it is, Cricket, but there's a sickness in this house. You'd best be getting you and Augusta out of here, he said. Daddy didn't seem to hear him. He looked blank. This time, it was my uncle who went to town to request another coffin. Randall showed up at our front door after the doctor had gone. Judging by the red dust covering his church shoes, he'd walked all the way to my house in his Sunday's best. He passed me flowers and softly told me that he was sorry for my loss. Even with his soothing presence, I was suffocating indoors. Daddy was so stricken with grief that he was openly weeping in front of us. So I led Randall out back, and we climbed a tree. He held my hand after we'd situated ourselves on a sturdy limb, and I let my tears flow freely. It was starting to sink in. I'd murdered my mama and baby sister. We buried mama that day, but had to wait for Abby's coffin to bury her. We went to spend the night at my aunt and uncle's house after the funeral. Too emotionally wrecked to sleep, I crept through the house and sat down on the front porch. I prayed to God, begging him to give me a sign, to reassure me that the deaths of my mama and sister weren't related to my contract with this witch. From my spot on the porch, I hadn't noticed Dixie slinking around. But that morning, when I heard shrill crying, I knew she'd come.
This time it was Daddy who was found dead. The doctor again blamed it on the mysterious sickness. The fourth night, as I started out the front door of my aunt and uncle's, a voice called to me from the darkness. Augusta, where are you going? For a second I thought it was the witch. A lump rose in my throat before I realized it was Randall, hiding in the cover of night. I have something to do. You can come with me if you promise not to tattle. He promised, and we set off to Dixie's shack. She waited at the door as if expecting us. I told you, girl, ain't no taking him back. You never said you'd take my family, I shouted. Randall glared at her. We should leave, Augusta. I don't know what's going on, but I know this woman is bad. Scared, Randall, Dixie taunted. He balled his fist up and puffed his chest out. Using the element of surprise, I shoved the witch backwards with all of my emotional might. Stunned as she was, I managed to kick her down to the floor. She landed on her back right inside the shack. I had spotted it as Randall and I approached the witch, and presently I pulled it out of the tree stump it was lodged in, walking back to her sprawled-out body. You going to kill me? She asked quietly, her eyes trained on the weapon I yielded. I lifted the heavy axe over my head and swung as Randall belted out loud, terror-filled protests. My arms shook with the effort as the blade plunged into the soft flesh of her belly. Blood sprayed and gushed out of the deep wound and Dixie howled and wailed, writhing on the ground. Ah, oh, you bitch! I curse you, you little bitch! You hear me? I curse you! As she lobbed her threats my way, blood bubbled out of her mouth and drizzled down her chin. In the darkness, it could have been chocolate or gravy. Randall pushed me away from her and wriggled the axe free. He lifted it and planted it into her face. She ceased moving and grew silent. Your secret's safe with me, Augusta, he reassured me as he straightened back up to his full height. We left Dixie dead on the floor and went to the creek. Randall told me to get rid of my gown as he ditched his own clothes. He instructed me to bathe in the water. Then he told me he'd be right back. Don't worry. I just have to get something, he said with a smile. I washed the blood from my body and waited for his return. He came back with a shovel that he said he got from Dixie's and dug a deep hole. He flung our clothes into it and buried them. After we dropped the shovel back off at Dixie's, we walked back to my aunt and uncle's, naked and changed forever. I relived that night a lot, but to write it down in detail, it's as if strangers swung that axe a long time ago. Not me. Not me. And not my Randall either. In the light of the new day, only the witch had perished, but I think a part of Randall and me died with her. Randall had only to ask his parents to allow me to live with them. They granted his wish almost immediately. My aunt and uncle were relieved to have the burden of another mouth to feed off their backs. So in the end, everyone was pleased with the arrangement. The Laytons took good care of me, even if they couldn't understand 
how or why Randall was so smitten. I had my own bedroom and the best dresses. I took piano lessons, learned French, traveled, finished school, and completed an English degree. When we were 22 years of age, Randall and I were married in the little white Baptist church my mama had occasionally managed to drag Daddy, Abby, and me to for the Sunday morning service. Randall and I still live at home with an around-the-clock aide. We also have a nurse who pops in daily to check our vitals and whatnot, though the Lord knows why. I think my daughter believes we're going to live forever. I'm not as spry as I was even a couple of years ago, but I'm not in near as bad health as my Randall. Alzheimer's claimed his mind some years back, and my husband has not been himself for a while now. Every morning, I expect whatever aide is working the day shift to rush in and tell me he isn't with us anymore. Earlier, I mentioned maybe it's something more sinister pushing me to spill my guts about Dixie. Well, the something more sinister is Randall. His behavior gets queerer all the time. Every night for the past week, I wake up to see him leaning over me. His face mere inches from mine, watching me like a cat watches a mouse. He's even taken to whispering inaudible words to me, and I may not know what it is he's saying, but I know it makes my hair stand on end. The wonder of it all is that he has to have assistance dressing and ambulating and taking a shit for Christ's sake, but he can go for a midnight stroll into my room all on his own. Today I heard him crying in his room. When I went in to console him, he bellowed. Get away from me, you conniving whore! Then he added in hushed tones. Remember Dixie Augusta. I see her, honey. See her all the time. She talks to me sometimes. Says she's coming to collect. It could be the Alzheimer's, but I'm certain it's not. He gazes upon me with knowing, condemning eyes. I think his illness has annihilated the love spell, even if he doesn't talk about it. I took his free will from him. He's been my puppet since we were children, so I'll put up with any abuse he dishes out. I have something coming to me, and I can live with that. I'm the reason my family was put six feet under. But my child and grandkids, they don't deserve the punishment that I've evaded all these years. I worry so for them. Dixie never got her fourth night. There's no taking it back, she said. She has a debt to settle, a long overdue one. I don't think she'll stop at my daughter. I believe she'll run through all of my descendants, picking them off one by one, somehow. I'm sure of that. I'm afraid I've made a terrible mess of things. Please, God, don't let my daughter and grandkids pay for my sins. My great-grandmother Emily owned a house on Glenwood Avenue in Owasoa, Michigan. She was fairly well off. So she let my mom's mother move into the house when she was falling on hard times 
with her husband and their kids, and my GG Emily moved out. I'm going to try to make this as easy to understand as possible to who is who. So I'm going to lay out who moved into the house first. My grandma Pat, which is my mom's mom, has three kids. Charlotte, who is my mom, Chris, and James. She was married to a man named Butch, who also had three kids, Sandy, Lee, and Greg. These are all events that my mom and Grandma Pat both separately told me about throughout my life. I'm now 22 and have told my friends about them through the years, and I've been reading their Reddit posts and have considered to share the experiences I've learned about. They're 100% true. So, before I start speaking about what happened before my mom, I want to share a bit about what happened to my Gigi, Emily, when she lived there. She told my grandma that some strange things had been happening in the house. When she was in bed, it felt like a cat walked over her, and she had no animals. Also, she told my grandma that something would tug her blanket at the end of her bed, and she would have to clutch onto it or it would be yanked off of her. Water would also run in the bathroom constantly, and she would have to get up and turn it off throughout the night. My mom moved into the house, and she made some friends around the neighborhood. They would tease her about how a witch lived there before and did witchcraft in the basement and said the house was haunted. My mom brushed it off, thinking they were just trying to scare her. My mom said that her and her stepsister Sandy shared a room, and she said that red glowing eyes would look at them in the closet. My mom said that they would be so scared that they would sleep in the same bed and Sandy even ran and flicked on the light and moved the toys around in the closet, thinking it was just a light, but as soon as the light would flick back off and Sandy got back into bed with my mom, they would reappear. My mom told me they would pull long black hairs from the drywall on leading to the staircase and that the drywall would literally just crumble. My mom told me one night my grandma Pat was waiting for her husband Butch to get home. She was watching TV in the living room, and she was laying on a pull-out bed. She said she got up to get a drink of water and had her feet on the floor, and something grabbed her ankle and squeezed and shook it so hard from underneath the bed that it left a bruise. She looked under the bed, thinking it was one of the kids, and she seen that nothing was there, so she yelled for my mom to come out there with her until her husband got home. She told my mom what happened, and they were both terrified. I asked my grandma about this, and she told me the exact same thing. My grandma also told me that she'd seen large black figures in the home multiple times. I just got off the phone with my grandma to try and get everything as accurate as possible. She didn't have much time because she was at work, but she did tell me that a man hanged himself in the basement and she would see things in the kitchen a lot, like large black figures. The basement door was in the kitchen. She said that my mom would too, to the point that she would scream and cry multiple times from the age of two and a half. She told me that they moved out once, when my mom was younger, because of the weird shit that was going on, and someone else moved in for a while. But they had to move back out several years later which was when she was grabbed from under the bed. She said, 
Something grabbed my ankle and shook the hell out of it. My Gigi Emily owned the house the entire time, which is why they ended up back there. She also said that her son James had seen the red glowing eyes, and all of the other kids would hear and see things constantly. But after things got physical with her, when it grabbed her ankle, she got the hell out of there for good. She also said that renters would stop moving out of the house very quickly until someone purchased it some years later and had it blessed. She thinks they're still living there to this day. When I was around 15, my mom told me this again because it was all so scary and interesting to me. I would have my mom retell me everything that happened in the house all the time, and I ended up finding the house online. While I was searching through articles to see if any information was available about the house, I found that right down the street was Rosevere Park and Woods, and it's said to be one of the most haunted places in Owasso. I'm not sure if it has any correlation with the house, but I just thought that was strange. You can read all about the stories about the park with a quick Google search. Disclaimer, there is a scene in the story that involves a dog. It is nothing too triggering or traumatizing, but I still say listening discretion is advised. This story was told to me by my grandfather and told to him by his friend while they served in the Vietnam War. This is going to be told in the point of view of my grandfather's friend. Before I was drafted, I was working on a farm in Alabama. All my life, I've been working on a farm with family and friends. We never had much money, so about 20 of us had to live in an old plantation house. On the property, there was an old barn that we kept the horses, one mule, and a few hogs in. Next to the woods were some old slave houses that some of our friends lived in. Every morning... As the sun rose, we rose. For breakfast, we ate whatever was for dinner the night before. We didn't have time to sit and wait for food to be cooked. Us kids had to work with the women, so we mostly just picked whatever was being harvested that year. Basically, all I'm telling you is that it was hard work. We always had strange things happening to us. We were pretty much in the middle of nowhere and the only time we'd seen new faces was when we went to town in our wagon to sell our vegetables. We couldn't just call 911 because we didn't have a single telephone in our home. We didn't even have lights. We used candles and lanterns. The little bit of money we had wouldn't pay for electricity. One winter night, we were all settled down after a day of harvesting hay. The men were sitting around the fireplace, smoking pipes, chewing tobacco, and talking. The women were either talking to each other or reading some of the magazines we had brought from town. Me and my other brother were laying in our beds, whispering to each other, playing little games while trying not to be heard by the adults downstairs. At about this time of night, one of the men had walked outside to the outhouse, which was behind the main house next to the forest. As he was reaching it, he heard an owl hooting from the trees. 
He didn't think that was weird. Owls were common. But the thing that made him stop walking was how the owl hoot changed to a coyote howl. After that, it became a donkey braying. And after that, it was a high-pitched whistle. The men yelled into the woods and thinking and hoping it was just somebody playing tricks. He walked back to the main house and peed beside the porch, even though the women told him not to do that. He didn't care what they said. He didn't feel right about using that ad house at that moment. About a half hour later, the dog started barking. The men shrugged it off, thinking it was just barking at a deer or something. But the barking got worse, almost sounding like the dog was barking at an intruder. And then, just as suddenly as the dog started barking, it stopped. The men knew something was up, and the women knew too. So a few of the men went outside to check on the dog. When they found the dog behind the barn, its belly was ripped open, and its tongue seemed to be bitten off. They knew a coyote didn't do this, nor a bobcat. One of the men picked up the corpse of the dog, and they all walked back to the main house to get a rifle and bury the dog. As they were burying the dog, the horses inside the barn started raising hell. The men knew whatever it was that killed the dog was now trying to kill the horses. So they ran to the barn and opened the door. They calmed the horses and searched the barn for the animal. As they were searching, one of the men pointed out that all of the horses' tails were braided. At about that time, he pointed this out. They heard footsteps in the hayloft. Two of the men rushed to climb the ladder, but when they got to the top, they found no one. Everyone knew what had visited the farm that night. It is known for witches to bray the tails of horses, and it is known for them to make weird sounds to draw in their prey. This is a story that I'll never forget. It's something that will always make my skin crawl. In First Nations culture, a bear walker is someone who uses our sacred medicines for bad and not good. They can make someone very sick. Only a medicine man may reverse it, and it often comes as a gamble for the bear walker. Once reversed, they will suffer more than the one they made sick. I was 20 years old and very healthy. One night I had a dream I was in a field and was picking wildflowers. From each direction, a tornado was coming at me. I woke up in a fevered sweat. That began two months of sheer misery. My doctor kept saying that I had a UTI. She would give me antibiotics and it would subside for a while. I lost 40 pounds in the span of two months. By the end of it, I couldn't walk. Barely ate. Finally, my mom got tired of it. My sister bundled me up and we went to the hospital. Though an earlier ultrasound showed nothing, there was a huge growth on my ovary. A few days later, I had surgery, and when the doctor came to visit me, he said he never seen anything like it. It was a yellow, almost concrete-like substance around my ovary. I got better, but my mother remained unconvinced and scheduled an appointment with a medicine man. 
We gave him tobacco, and he smoked a pipe and sang a song. He said something along the lines of a woman seeing me at a powwow. She became interested in who I was because of my mother. She threw a piece of medicine in my path. I stepped on it, and it went up the right leg. He asked me if I still felt it. I said yes. He took a bone, what kind I am not sure, placed it in the area, and began to suck. Weird, I know. He started vomiting, yellow. Vomiting, yellow. Like the doctor said, he gave me medicines and rituals for my mom to do. I went home that night and slept for 13 hours. My sickness never returned. Kid I was friends with in high school was jumped on two separate occasions. First, a mutual friend lured him outside his house where a large group of dudes waited. One of them jumped him and beat him fairly badly. Second was a very high school meet me after school type fight, which my friend won and was subsequently jumped by the fight loser's boxer friend. That one, he got severely fucked up. So fast forward a year or so, he and I kind of grow apart. He tells me he's getting into Satanism and made a pact to sell his soul. He asked for three. The one that lured him, the loser of the second fight, and the boxer. To be all killed. Luring guy died in a freak accident two-ish years later. Thrown from the back of a topless jeep. Loser of the second fight died four-ish years later. Heroin overdose. Boxer died of four-ish years later. Don't know how. We're in our mid-40s now. He's married with a child. All probably total coincidences, but at the time it was like, what the fuck did you do? And what kind of power did you possess? When I was in high school, I had this sudden bout of nightmares and sleep paralysis. I wasn't going through a stressful time or anything, and I don't freak out easily. I grew up watching 80s and 90s horror films, and I normally sleep with total darkness and doors closed. These nightmares were super sudden and happened almost every night. It was constant sleep paralysis where my room was on fire or... There were bats thrashing around above me, or there was a figure hovering over my body, and I couldn't breathe. You know, the classic. Sometimes my speakers let out strange frequency-type sounds, even when it was switched off. Things would fall off my shelves, etc. My mom would always find me sleeping on the couch the next morning with the TV on because it was so cozy. Suddenly, it all stopped. And when I told my mom, she admitted that she had sought advice from a priestess who engraved a blessing for me on a silver pendant and instructed my mom to place it in my room. She didn't want to tell me to see if it would work. I've never had such episodes since.
a wish too far. Mississippi folktale of a desperate fisherman who is granted a wish from a mysterious sea witch, and you know what they say about wishes. Once on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, there was a poor fisherman who had five daughters. These daughters were very plain and could not afford suitors, so they lived at home with their mother and helped her keep the house and sell their father's catch. They were a great help to the family, but also a great burden. With so many mouths to feed, the old fisherman was at sea every waking hour trying to catch enough fish to keep his large family fed and clothed. Those few hours when he was home, his old wife gave him no peace. Whatever will we do for money? Without a big dowry, no one will marry our daughters. You must work harder and catch more fish. And on and on she drove him. It was only at sea that he could find any peace. One day when the fishing was extremely poor, the old fisherman sailed his boat further from home than ever before. A dense fog fell and covered the coast, and when it lifted, the fisherman found himself in a strange cove where he'd never been before. He was about to cast his net when the tide changed, and a great whirlpool grabbed a hold of his boat and spun it around and around. Faster and faster the boat spun until it traveled down the funnel of the whirlpool, like a bit of dirt down a bathtub's drain. Eventually, the boat came to rest on the bottom of the cove. The fisherman saw a small hut and an old woman hanging clothes on a line. Hello, good wife, called the fisherman. What place is this, and how come you're here? I am the witch of this cove the old woman said, and this is my house. No mortal has ever been here before. If you keep my secret, I will grant you one wish. Uh, I wish I could catch more fish, said the fisherman without hesitation, as he thought that having more money would silence his scolding wife. It is easily done, said the witch. When you throw your net, you must say, Dama, Dama, Dama Re, fish of the sea, come to me, and you will have as many fish as your boat can hold. Now, you best leave before the whirlpool closes. So the fisherman climbed back into his boat and rowed the whirlpool's funnel back to the surface. When he got into familiar waters, he tried out the witch's chant. As he threw out his net, he called, Dama, Dama, Dama fish of the sea, come to me. Sure enough, he soon had as many fish as his boat could hold. He hurried home and told his wife of his great good fortune. Day after day, the same thing happened, and every day the fisherman's catch was as much as his boat could hold. Even though the family had more money than before, the old fishwife was still not happy. You know, she said, if we could marry off our daughters without having to pay so many dowries, we could live very well, you and I. Why don't you go and ask your witch to work some magic to make our daughters comely so they wouldn't marry wealthy suitors? Day after day, the old woman nagged the fisherman so that he again had no peace. Finally, he could stand it no longer and set off along the coast in search of the secret cove. 
After many hours, a thick fog enveloped the boat and obscured the shore. When the fog lifted, the fisherman again saw the secret cove and he waited for the tide to change. And again, he rode the whirlpool around and around to the sandy bottom. This time, the old witch was sitting on her porch, rocking and smoking her pipe. When she saw the fisherman, she said, What? You again? Aren't you catching enough fish? Uh, oh, yes, the, the, the fishing has never been better. Then what brings you here? The old crone fixed him with her black and twinkling eye. What more do you need? It's my daughters. I, I had five daughters, and while I love them dearly, they are homely creatures and cannot find husbands. Have you some magic that can make them beautiful? It is easily done, said the witch, but you must not come here again, lest you make me angry. I, I promise not to bother you again. Th th thank you, said the old fisherman. When next you cast your net, you will find five blue fish amongst the catch. Take these fish home and tell your wife to cook them for your daughters. When the daughters eat of them, they will become beautiful. The fisherman thanked the old witch over and over, and as the whirlpool lifted him higher and higher, he heard the old witch say, Remember your promise. That night when the fisherman returned to his home, he bade his wife to cook the five blue fish for the daughters who ate them. Then they all went to bed. When they woke up the next morning, the homely daughters had become the five most beautiful maidens in the south. It didn't take very long before the girls had their choice of wealthy suitors. All of the girls chose plantation owners or planters' sons and went to live in great mansions with servants and fine furnishings. There, are you happy now? The fisherman asked his wife. She just sighed a great sigh. How can I be happy when we live in this tiny hovel that smells of fish? How are we to have our daughters and their wealthy families to dinner? And what of our grandchildren? Don't you want to see our grandchildren? The old woman kept on in this manner day after day, giving the fisherman no peace. So, what is it that you want? He asked his wife. I want you to see your witch and ask her for a fine stone house or enough gold to build one. But I promise not to see her again, lest bad things befall us. The fisherman protested. Oh, bah! What can she do? If she refuses to help, we are no worse off. And if she helps us, our life will be much improved. So insistent was she that she wore down the old man's resistance. And so he finally gave in to her demands and went once again to seek the secret cove. Once again, he sailed up to the coast, and once again, he was enveloped by the fog. And once again, his boat was whirled around and down to the bottom of the sea. This time, the old lady was in her garden, planting cockle shells. When she saw who it was, her face darkened, and she said, You again? Didn't I tell you never to return? I'm so sorry, said the fisherman. It's my wife. She won't leave off nagging me to come to you with one last request. And what do you want now? 
We want to find a house so we can meet with our well-married daughters as equals. We want a house of stone with many rooms. A fine house as befits a wealthy man. It is easily done, said the witch. If it's gold you want, it is gold thou shalt have, and a fine house to dwell in. And with that, she stooped down and picked up a stone and handed it to the fisherman. Plant this stone where you wish your house to stand. Tell your wife to go into the cellars with a basket and find the gold that is there. Tell her she must go alone. This is your last wish. Thou has broken thy word, and I am sorely vexed. You shall find me no more. And with this she turned her back upon the fisherman and went inside her hut. As the fisherman rose higher and higher on the whirlpool, he heard the old witch call. Remember, true happiness does not come from magic. Happy and relieved, the fisherman sailed home and told his wife what the old witch had said. Together they planted the stone in a hole in the backyard and went to bed. The next morning they could barely open their door as one wall of a great stone house was pressed against their oval. Oh, come and see, exclaimed the wife. See what a fine house we have. And you are to take a basket and go into the cellar and retrieve the gold that lies therein. Gladly, cried the wife, overflowing with joy, as she found an old fish basket that her daughters once used to sell their catch in town and hurried into the big house and down into the cellar. She climbed down and down, winding stairs and through twisting hallways, with many branching until she lost her way entirely. She called to her husband, and often her cries could be heard echoing through the great house, but of the fishwife could not find her way out, and of the old woman and her gold, nothing was ever seen again. The fisherman and his neighbors went into the cellar looking for her and found only a single chamber, empty save for an old basket. For many days the fishwife called, Help me, I'm lost. I have gold, much gold, but I would give it away for a single breath of air and the sight of a blue sky. The daughters and the rest of the town considered the great house cursed and no one would set foot inside its walls. The old fisherman spent the remainder of his days a sad and lonely man. The great stone house stands there still. You can see it to this day along the Mississippi shore, just east of Biloxi. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these true witch stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Please take care of yourselves. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.